Hello and welcome to the Baseball Wisconsin Podcast. I am your host, Tim Gotzler. Today's episode takes us into the third inning where we sit down with recently named Hall of Fame coach of Green Lake, Princeton, Tim Polk. All right, now, Tim leads us into his program, his journey, um, a little bit of the background of his playing career, teaching, coaching, administrative side, um, and we get a look at in uh, baseball in his community, um, inside of his program, and you know some of the keys to success that he's had that's wound him up as part of this um, 2024 class for the WBCA Hall of Fame. Um, looking at his resume, again, eight conference championship titles, eight regionals, uh, trip to state in 2006. He's been very involved with the association for many years. Uh, just so happy to, for Tim to spend the time sitting down with us today. Um, and then also, you know, in, um, in a few days here up the uh, state convention in 2024 at three o'clock on Friday, uh, myself, uh, Tim, and Greg Yeager out of Hortonville will be um, on a, a high school coaches panel at 3 o'clock on Friday. Um, on Saturday, if you stick around for the luncheon and the uh, Hall of Fame inductees, you're going to hear Tim talk and have his, his few minutes on stage. But that's one of my favorite parts of doing these episodes is, you know, you get to give them time to go through their background and hear about their programs because it's such an incredible accomplishment. Um, you know, it's a lifetimes of, of worth of work to be recognized um, by, you know, your counterparts and by the association to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. You know, my interview today um, is going to be one of, of several interviews I do with, with um, coaches that are going to the Hall of Fame this year. So without further ado, head baseball coach at Green Lake Princeton, Tim Polk. Hey, coach, how you doing today? I'm doing great. Could be warmer, but we're making it. I love it. Well, hey, thanks for jumping on with us. Um, just as we get started, maybe give us some background. Where'd you grow up? Uh, a little bit of your your playing career, and then we'll, we'll um, roll into your coaching career. Okay. Um, kind of grew up in central Wisconsin area. I was uh, I'm a son of a uh, coach, and uh, t- uh, my father was a teacher and became an administrator. So we had lived in. Uh, Wittenberg for many years, spent a year and a half in Green Bay, back to Wittenberg. Then um, we uh, were at Almond Bancroft for a year, and my dad decided he wanted to coach some more, and we were at D.C. Everest, and then he became an administrator, and I ended up my high school graduating from Almond Bancroft, so kind of the middle central Wisconsin area, many different places where I had grown up and went to school. And that um, my journey uh, through school, I went to UW Stevens Point my first year and then eventually transferred to Winona State. I played, uh, it was kind of crazy because I played basketball and baseball and kind of thought about being a basketball player. But my senior year, we Plover had a Legion team for the first year and I made that team and I played infield and pitched and went nine and one as a pitcher that year. And it was kind of surprising in that and it was success that I had just been a kind of a fill in type of pitcher for our high school team, knowing I could do it. And we had some good pitchers all along while I played and had success there. And so I went to Stevens point, tried out for a team, kind of made it on a team, but there wasn't much communication of what was happening and decided, um, 
that I would transfer to Winona. My older brother, Kyle, who and played there basketball and baseball, I went there and knew I'd at least have a chance to play some and see what happens. Played four years of baseball, pitched at Winona, um, and continued on. Played a lot of summer baseball in Wisconsin State League and different many different communities. I played five, six different teams over the years in that. Um, and then when I graduated from Winona, I got teaching position in, in Green Lake, and I was an assistant baseball coach to start and a, a JV basketball coach also at that time. And I kind of thought about, you know, maybe being just a basketball coach, but kind of grew into becoming a baseball coach. The guy, the person that was the head coach at the time kind of knew that. And he had just was coaching and had mentioned to me that if I was going to stay, that we could switch roles and he would be my assistant coach and I would take over as head coach. And that was about five years into the teaching, coaching journey. And I decided, well, I was going to stay here in Green Lake. And we had switched and he's been my assistant all along. So we've been together for this is our 34th year together as a coaching staff. All right, Tim. So um, you talked to us about your playing career, you know, Stevens Point, Winona State. You said you pitched there. You know, what what type of player were you, you know, and, and how has you as a pitcher, you as a player kind of led into your coaching style for all these years? Um, I, uh, I always say that I was kind of an overachiever. I don't, you know, I don't know if I threw overly that hard. You know, I was probably 82, 83 as a right-handed pitcher. But I was taught early on by we had a pitching coach at Winona, and he meant, sent the message of King of the Hill attitude. And that's kind of what I took on, and I worked hard, and I, I stayed with it. It was sometimes sometime struggling to, to get playing time or to be able to pitch. And, but I, my senior year, was a, I was able to – I was a long reliever. Our number one starter had kind of went down in a game through um, blew his elbow out, and I came in and came through, and I ended up being our number one starter that year. And and that and I just I worked hard and I did all the little things that you had to do all the time, and that others wouldn't. And I just had was given an opportunity, opened the door, and I took control of it, and was ended up being pretty successful with it. I'm. Pretty kept simple things simple. I threw strikes, tried to get ahead of hitters, and I, I think I pitched at a pretty high level for someone who maybe hadn't pitched a lot in high school and so on. Um, I think that just part of is what we've done, coaching wise, is taken that and and worked on the little things and the little parts of the game that gives each player a chance to be successful when a ball's hit at them or if they're at plate, and hopefully they learn that work ethic and being responsible to be able to carry that on with anything they do in their life. Well, that's great. I feel like the more time I talk to coaches about their playing days and how it translates into coaching, I feel like oftentimes coaches have a soft spot in their heart for the kid who reminds them of themselves, you know, and that, that how you preach that message to one of your players who isn't as talented as another kid, but they continue to work, they buy in, they do little things. Do you find yourself, you know, maybe not rooting for that kid a little bit, but also like you see yourself in some of these boys. Yeah. 
<clears throat> we I do a lot. I mean, we we're we're a small school program, so we depend on kids who you know maybe aren't great athletes, um, kids who maybe not be a star or that who can fill the roles of being able to fill in a role, fill in a position and be able to handle the position well enough to keep us successful in what we're doing to win games. I mean, we, we put a strong emphasis on with our younger kids, our freshmen, our sophomores even, is that you might not get a lot of playing time when you're younger, but if you work every day and you come every day, I'm going to stay loyal to you and you will get your opportunity uh, you know, a big, huge example that we always use is we made it to the state baseball tournament in 2006. And I had two, at least two stars, maybe three, who didn't hardly play much until their senior year. But they were able to, they stayed with it, did the things, worked hard, got in when they could. But they were, you know, I think if they look back on their careers, that they were played in the state tournament, you know, and we, yeah, we got beat the first game, but it was something that was successful, but that's something we preach. You know, it may not be fun when you're a freshman and sophomore because you don't get to play a lot on the varsity, and that's all we have. But we try to emphasize that early on as, hey, work hard, do the things, get your opportunity, and then, you know, seize that opportunity. And, and, that, and I'm loyal to those kids that do that, and I will give them their opportunities, which I think, you know, our my coach at Winona, um, he, he was – that way in which, you know, he saw that I had worked and worked through things and stayed with it and gave me an opportunity. And I took, took it and ran with it. Well, that's great. You know, and I feel like that, you know, those who stay will be champions mindset and buying into the long game is, is gotta be a, a difficult task for, for any coach. You know, one of my, um, the best parts about doing the podcast sometimes is I talk to coaches that have I mean, I mean, 120, 130 kids coming out for baseball. They got multiple freshman teams, you know, 2,000 plus kids at their school. Yeah. And then on the flip side of that, I get to talk to coaches like you who, um, you know, embody small town high school and coaches are doing everything. They're ADs, they're teaching, they're sweeping the floors. And that's what I think is so great about our state is you get a little bit of everything. So, you know, you've talked about you're fresh out of college, you come to Green Lake, you know, you've been working obviously running the baseball program at a hall of fame level, you know, you've had a consistent staff, maybe talk to us about that consistency on your staff and what that's meant to your baseball program. Well, and for, for many years, it was just uh, Tim Pulsine who, who he was the head coach for my first five years. And then we had decided, I had looked at, at opportunities of going other schools and being a basketball coach, which, my dad is, was a basketball coach and that's kind of whatever. And, and that, and I decided not to take those jobs. And I had mentioned that time that, you know, I'm ready to stay, you know, and he was fine with switching. And it's been really great because he's someone that knows how we run a program, what we do within our program. I can go to practice and say, Hey, I have this meeting here. I'm not going to be right away. This is what we need to do. He, he can do it. When my children were younger and if I wasn't able to, I had to do something with them or they were sick, I wouldn't have to worry about practice, what was going on. He could just take it and do it. Um, we've always, ex you know, expressed with our 
other coaches in our programs when we meet with them as an AD is, you know, I'm not talking, I'm not bragging here, but why have we been successful is we have been involved with our youth for many, many years, whether we had run a baseball camp on Wednesday mornings, we had coached our 13 to 15 year olds for numerous years. And, and we haven't done it lately because my son has got past that age, but even before I didn't even have a son that age, him and I were running that. And that was like our feeder program for our varsity team is we use that because our our freshman kids were able to play that yet. And we use that as like a JV program where we ran our practices two days a week. We played two days a week in the summer and did everything we the same exact way we did in high school. And just the continuity of being able to have someone, someone con, uh, same in the program for so many years, I think has really led to a lot of our success and how we do things and why we've been able to have a winning record for probably 27 of the 29 years I've been a head coach. Well, I think you paint a really good picture of, you know, that all in, everyone's got eyes on you in a small school um, again, ADs, coaches, basketball, baseball, multi-sport athletes, you know, from your perspective as an athletic director, um, obviously you've seen all types of coaches come through your programs. Um, you know, like what, what traits would you say are that successful coaches have that you've seen as an athletic director, or then obviously that you embody as a, as a head coach. So don't be too humble here. I want to hear about like, what are the things that, you know, good coaches do well? I I think they're they're organized and they're thorough with what they do. They run a a great practice um that with the kids they have them involved. They're not, you know, kids aren't standing, players aren't standing around. It's always continuously moving. We, you know, be honest, we haven't had a lot of successful programs in over the years. We've had some areas where the boys have had basketball of a year or two. And part of that is continuity, and we haven't had that. Um, we have a new basketball coach, and he's really trying to do things with the youth, which I think is the hugest thing, especially at a small school, because you get what you get. You don't have a large number of kids to pick from, and <clears throat> that's what we have, and we have to go with it. And, you know, they communicate. I mean, communication is important. I mean, with the parents, even though you're trying to get these student athletes to become productive people in society later know how to communicate without a phone. They still have a hard time communicating with their own parents. And I see that with my own son, because sometimes we don't know what's happening, but it's a good thing as being the AD and a baseball coach, we, we do know what's happening. I mean, and they're, they're looking at all levels of players also. Well, take us more into your program. Um, you know, like, what's the typical spring look like for you? How many kids come to tryouts? Do you carry one team, multiple teams? Um, so talk us through what that looks like kind of on, you know, pitchers and catchers and then and then day one of tryouts. Um, we typically have 15 to 20 kid, uh, students, athletes out for baseball. You know, in a year, I would very rarely have ever had more than 20 out we had years ago. We did have one year of a JV team and it didn't work real well because we didn't have a lot of space um, on that. But uh, we work 
we have some open gyms, but many of them are playing are wrestling or playing basketball already. So they're doing things. And I don't really like to interfere <clears throat> with other kids and their with their with them in their other seasons. So we do run a little open gym on Sundays where we just open it up. They come in and maybe hit off the soft um, jug soft ball hitting machine, play some catch. They like to play a uh, like a wiffle ball game for a bit and we kind of do start doing that pretty soon and that kind of gets them excited about the season coming up um, we don't cut anybody like i said earlier talking if we emphasize with younger you might get a chance to play you may not it all depends what your ability but you have to be ready you know especially after your freshman year as a sophomore we want you to be able to be able to play and fill in and then when you're a junior and senior, you're going to get more of the playing time. Um, we identify kids. We have identified um, players in when they're 13, when they're in Little League. We've helped out some with some of the coaches. And we try to make everyone a pitcher to start out with. And we've done that with the 13 to 15-year-olds. And we tell them, and when we were coaching them, that we'll let, we will let you know when you aren't going to be able to pitch anymore so like now it's kind of nice with pitchers and catchers week we have probably of the 16 17 kids we have we probably will have 12 of them as being pitchers and that will range from freshmen to seniors and identify those people and try to continue to work with them um, I typically haven't had any catchers who are pitchers I like to stay away from that so we don't have that. So we do have like two or three other players who are just our catchers. And we go into that first week with identifying there and then breaking it up from there. And I think part of that's been success because we have built a pitching staff from ninth to 12th grade, knowing that you as a ninth grader, you may not pitch any varsity time, but the summer baseball is where you are going to pitch. And you use that summer so when you become a sophomore, now you're going to be counted on to give us innings. And we've had a few freshmen over the years be able to come in and pitch and give us some innings. I have a, a junior pitcher right now who pitched probably 30, 35 innings as a freshman because he was ready to go and do that. Well, and that's really helpful to paint a picture, like you said, because you build the staff, guys are going to graduate, you kind of backfill, but they've all been in the system. They've heard it from you and your staff. Um, but, you know, with, with the numbers that you have, you start that Monday, March 18th, you know, typical tryout day. Well, obviously you have to make lineup decisions, and, but are you kind of going more into like an install and, and practice right away? You know, how do you handle those first few days, maybe where other schools are doing their cuts? Uh, well, we, I basically start the day after we, are, we lose in a regional or sectional. I already have in mind who's going to play where. So we already already have that mindset moving forward from from June. We know, I kind of know who is whatever. So when we start practicing, um, we have very limited space because we have a small gym. We, we know who might be where, somewhere in the lineup where they're going to be. We know who's returning. We know who's coming in because of the small school and knowing and, and being visible in the summertime also that we have a good idea. So when we go into practices inside, we do a lot of hitting drills 
and we spend 45 minutes to an hour just doing hitting drills because our space to throw or field things is very limited. Our gym's probably 90 feet long and we have a, a batting cage in a smaller little gym that's not even 60 feet. So we will do some hitting there. So we spend a lot of time with just swinging and doing hitting drills and working on those things to improve those that area of hitting. And part of my belief is not to change everyone the same way, let them go. And, you know, and the good hitters, they'll become much better hitters. Our, our average hitters will become good, good enough hitters. They'll be able to be successful at our level. And then we'll do some other infield outfield drill work and place them in those areas where we think they're going to play. Um, our throwing routine, we do everything as a pitcher. So all the pitching drills, every player does those same exact pit throwing drills, and we have to do them on a smaller area. We can't get into the long toss or the longer, but I think that has also benefited us in the last four or five years because that helps us with our pitching staff, and it also lets us identify maybe some kids who weren't pitchers ever who might be able to pitch for us. And I think pitching is the huge is huge for us playing 22, 23 games in a short period of time. Well, you know, uh, nationally they talk about coaches in the North, right, having to be so resourceful, resourceful with their space because of weather. And, you know, as we sit here, it's negative whatever out. There's feet of snow, right? We're, we're speaking the same language a little bit. But what people don't understand a lot is that small schools, you have you talk about a 90-foot gym, you know, very limited space, you got to be very resourceful and um, with all the space that you have. So give us some more practice planning tips. If you if there's a coach listening that, you know, is in a similar situation that, of course, they want to complain, they want a, a bigger space, they want a field house, they want things. But in reality, they have a small space. How do you maximize that time best? Uh, <clears throat> like I said, <clears throat> we spend probably 45 minutes to an hour just doing hitting drills. So if we'll take our players, <clears throat> split them into groups um, by age, but each group has an upperclassman who has been through our practices two or three years, and then they also will have underclassmen with them. So when we're working in our drills, they're also teaching the drill and that. So we will spend, and we may make five or six different hitting drills that we do every day. Some like a bunning drill, soft toss drill are all some things we do every day. And then we try to throw in some different things that I've either picked up at a clinic, watch the video, you know, modern uh, social media. Now you can find a lot of different things that do just to add some variety. And so we will go probably six to seven minutes per drill. And they sometimes will have different stations and they'll rotate. You know, if we're doing a lot of T work, then we'll just, everyone will be doing the same T work. And we have, we have probably 10 Tanner T's that we can bring out and have and so over the years you know we've stocked up um, equipment to be able to use in these drills and within those six to seven minutes what we a lot of big time we talk about is quality over quantity and we that's a big thing that I use in practice is you know we want you to take six or seven swings and I 
I kind of one time research or heard or read about, you know, when you get to six or seven swings, you're in muscle fatigue. You get in muscle fatigue, you don't do anything proper anymore. So we focus, you get six, seven swings. You want to focus on quality, doing those well. And so in that time period in your group, and you have four or five guys, you may get 25 swings. And if we can get 20 to 20 quality swings, that's better than ripping out 10 or 15 that are just done because I'm trying to get done. And that, and so that's our biggest thing. When we talk in practice, we continue to talk about quantity or quality over quantity. And, you know, and so I think by the end of the, that hitting time, we are getting a hundred swings and then we will rotate them into the batting cage. And my assistant and I still throw batting practice and that, so they may be a time when the one group's in there and they move there and they get 15 to 20 pitches there. So we do a lot of that. Um, after our hitting, we may, we will probably do our throwing, pitching, throwing drills in which every player does those drills because I think it's essential that if you do the drills, you can pitch and you also, the drills help any other player in the field. And then we might break down into doing some infield drills one day, outfield drills the next day. Um, we don't play a game until April. So with pitchers, catchers weeks, we get three weeks of practice. Um, so we slowly build in team concept things, coverages, first and thirds. We have to do it on a small version, but they get it. They understand it. And so that's kind of how our indoor practices go until we can get outside. Um, you know, it gets to be, you know, end of the second week, we have to stop and talk about not throwing the balls at each other or playing tag or pick the balls up and put them in the buckets. Don't shoot them because I've seen you play basketball and you don't shoot them that well. And now we're picking them up twice, but that's, you know, it, you can only do so much in a small area for a period of time. Oh, that's great. I think all coaches hear that and start laughing, thinking about, you know, every every kid thinks they're Kobe, you know, shooting yeah. the ball into the bucket. Um, but uh, one thing got me thinking about as you were talking is, you know, you what stands out to me, Tim, is that you could rest on your resume. And I'm in the Hall of Fame now. I've done this, conference championships, all these plaques and trophies. But you're continuing to learn. You think that, you know, development and that kind of that growth mindset is, is imperative for you as a coach. So how do you – you know, you mentioned social media, you mentioned maybe some clinics, but go a little bit deeper there. Like, how do you get your professional development as a coach? You know, where do you turn to, um, to continue to learn more about being a better baseball coach? Well, I, I continually to go to the Wisconsin clinic, um, years ago before I got married and had children, I'd go to the national clinic. Um, my brother, uh, Kyle was the head coach at Winona state and he's retired now. I had used him, um, He'd give me, I would get access to the videos from the ABCA through him. I'm earlier than normal than others would because he'd be at the convention. So I would, you know, spend time looking at those videos. I'd like to look at the videos of the high school breakout sessions that they would have there. It was kind of interesting years and years ago, I went to Dallas and they had, I think it was probably the first time they had a high school breakout session. And so I said, I'm going to go to that session. And the guy pulls up a video of them having fall practice and during Thanksgiving time. And he had 25, 30 kids there. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't even get 25, 30 ever, you know, so that type of thing. I, you know, 
I'm on Instagram, just when you get things there. The ABCA puts out a weekly thing. Um, coach, just many places where I get the emails from. Coach, I can't even think of it as whatever, has things every week. And I'll click on them and look at them and say, hey, yeah, that's a good one. It's a different way of doing it. It gives us a little variety in, in how we're doing this drill. And so we'll do that. I have a younger, um, he's an assistant now, helps us out. He's brought some ideas from, he was a, he played for me in 2013 when we were finally together as a co-op. He played at Perturbo a little, but he's now helping us out as an assistant. And he brings in new ideas of younger things and young, on that, that, you know, I'm being old and kind of stuck in that way. So that helps. Well, that's great. You know, I think that's something that all coaches struggle with, especially when you clinic or you you know you want to do everything and you see a high school coach in the south and you know in texas or georgia that's got you know a full fall and an outdoor field or you see a pro organization that's got all the resources in the world but you got to filter it down to what makes sense for you in your current situation um so is there anything you're working on right now like you know looking into 2024 you got a lot on your plate but is there any part of the game that you're trying to really spend this off season developing in uh, not, not quite yet. I mean, I've started thinking a little bit. Um, I think my son probably has more ideas going through his head right now than I do. I mean, the, with the weather turning cold, it makes it a little harder to things. Um, you know, I, we have our list of things, probably the biggest thing is starting to get organized and, and moving forward and starting to get things organized what we're going to do, what we're going to do the first three weeks, looking at the schedule, how I, you know, I've kind of looked at how we can set up our pitching to be able to get through and get started and then get through the games. And then hopefully we don't get logged back up with makeup games. I mean, just kind of the simple things, you know, you, you try to set up like an apparel store and just kind of the, the things that aren't really baseball practice things or game idea, game things. It's just the, other stuff that you have to do and get done. And so I'm just kind of starting to do that organization of those things. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I think that's something that coaches often overlook, you know, and every year I feel like there's more and more coaches getting in, getting a head job. And some of those things get easily overlooked that are all part of the experience. Um, tell us more about the experience inside your program. What things make you unique? Um, is there a certain type of events that you do, you know, community, team building, fundraising, like, you know, give us some of the, maybe the unique things about your program. I'm not real sure if there's anything real unique about it. We just, we, we have been successful. We've developed our pitchers. Um, the, the biggest thing that I think our kids are, and I've always said it all along, the, the kids and the players I've coached have been the greatest kids alive. And I wouldn't trade any of them ever for someone else's player because they have been so – and it goes back to when my children were so young and they'd be in the dugout and they treated them so fairly. And even my son, who was a little more voicious and, and would out, be a little more outspoken, and he'd participate with us in practices, and they, they were so good with them. But the biggest thing that I see that is unique, we don't do any fundraising. I'm old school. We have a budget. I stay within our budget. Um, so when we get we get things that we need to have, and I stay within. And I don't think at a small school 
that some of these uh, players have played three sports. This is their third sport, and we're doing a fundraiser, and they're all fundraised out. Families are fundraised out. So we've lived the, just getting what we have within our budget. Um, it's great that I'm the AD, so I make sure our budget is okay enough to cover. Um, the biggest unique thing that we do that they do is over the last five, six years of the co-op together, any after any game, they go to Ripon to Culver's or McDonald's as a group of guys, whether we win or lose. Most of the time, it's whether they win or lose. Once in a while, we lose, they may not. But that's kind of a, a unique thing. And I think how they, you know, it's two separate schools, but they get along. And boys, they, I think, a lot easier than the girls. And they go and do that after every game. And that's, you know, I think that brings them closer together and they are, we're successful that way. We really don't do any other team building or that with them. I mean, just the way you talk about your players, your former players, your current players, I hope that you have former players and and families in your community that listen to this. I mean, that's for a coach to say that, you know, is, is, is really impressive. Um, just that care that you have. You did mention, you know, your son a few times now. So now I got to ask you, because that little boy, that boisterous little boy that was in the dugout is now a senior in high school. So give us some tips. You know, we've had a longstanding um, guests on here, I should say, that have have coached their sons. Um, and so, you know, talk us through that, what that experience has been like from your lens, you know, dad, coach, AD, and now you got a senior in high school. So So open it up for us. It's, it's been a long, it's been long and unique. I mean, he's probably been in the dugouts and he's, since he was three or four years old and he's been part of that. He would participate in practices. Like when we do situations since we were little, he'd run bases. It'd be time. One time he would had to leave for a school concert when he was in elementary school and threw a fit. His wife had to drag him out of, from under the bleachers. Um, so, you know, he, he has grown up loving the game of baseball from day one. Um, it's been so unique and so much fun with it. I mean, he had an art project when he was in third or fourth grade. And he had numbers on it, and the teacher brought it to me and asked, what is this? I said, oh, that's tonight's lineup for our game, you know, and so he's done that. He, you know, just to sit at home, you know, we have our disagreements probably in games and practices. You know, he probably feels at times I've been harder on him as a coach, but he is my son. And, you know, and that's some, that's hard to separate, you know, dad, coach, whatever there. But the conversations the, that we've had about baseball, about lineups, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? As he was growing up were just unbelievable that you could sit and talk with someone. And then, you know, that continues yet when we do have our lineups and why are we doing, why are you doing that? I think we should do this, you know, and yeah, great idea, but we're going to go this way. Um, You know, his knowledge of the game is so outstanding. I think that's just from being around that putting him on the field is like having a coach there. He directs everything. He, it's amazing how he can, know what a hitter did two innings ago or the previous game because we play a lot of our conference games Tuesdays and Thursdays. He knows what they do, but we still struggle. My wife and I struggle with them that he can't turn assignments in on time. You know, and those things that are frustrating, but as you know, you see the love that he has for baseball, he and that and this I don't 
I don't know exactly what we'll do at the end of the season because it's been a journey for 15, 16 years. Um, he's going to continue that journey on next year in college at Winona State. So that would be great. And I think he'll be successful. He has some growth to do and physically, but his skill set and everything is so outstanding. I mean, there's something just special about fathers and sons and sports and baseball. And I, you know, I think all of us, so, so many of us have that experience, you know, maybe it was youth, you know, when you're a little boy and, and I know you were raised in the gym, you were raised on a field, you're raised in a school and now you're raising your children that way. And, you know, like I said, it's kind of an end of an era, right. And he goes off to college next fall, obviously still has his, his senior year to, to complete here, but just to think about those times, um, it's got to be really special for you and your family. Um, you know, and, and one of the things I really wanted to touch on is you've had a storied career, which wound, you know, you wound up taking that, uh, the call, getting a letter this, this, uh, Thanksgiving about, uh, going in the WBCA hall of fame. And I know we only give you just a few minutes, you know, to, to thank everybody, uh, at the luncheon, but I wanted to give you more time than that. So let's start here. When you think about the WBCA and what does it mean to you? Um, just as other side note from the, on my son, but I had a daughter and just a story about her when she was, uh, three years old, she was, her, my wife caught her spitting in the house and she asked her, why are you doing that? Well, the boys all do it in the dugout. And so she had seen, she was part in the dugout too. And she's also was my manager. So I had that with her. She's a manager managing the team at Winona State because she goes to school there now. But she had seen the boys spitting seeds, so she thought she could spit in the house also. So she got herself in a little trouble, but she was in the dugout a lot too. Um, to be into the Hall of Fame is, is um, I don't, it's a great honor, an honor, you know, to achieve that you've done something and then and to be recognized statewide by that. Um, I'll be honest, when I first started out, I was probably going to be a basketball coach. And that was my dream is to coach and move up and be a varsity coach. My father was a basketball coach, many successful years at Wittenberg and, and Green Bay East he was. And he's in the Wisconsin Basketball Coaches Hall of Fame. Now, he was inducted years ago, and actually we found pictures just recently of when he was inducted. And so that was kind of a dream, you know, to be a basketball coach. And I kind of just grew into this baseball and went from there and and developed all the program, worked hard. And he gave me the work ethic my high school baseball coach did and what he did, what he did with us and things and work ethic to go that to get this honor now to be have a father who is in the basketball coaches hall of fame and now to be in the hall of fame i it's just it's so great above and beyond what i ever thought i would ever do when i started out well i mean like it, it's obviously well earned i mean i know I, we're excited to see you you know give you a few minutes in, in february but you kept mentioning the coaches along the way and who had the biggest influences on you? So maybe we'll, we'll sit there a little bit. Like you talked about the work ethic from your dad and are there other traits you picked up from coaches that you had or from your colleagues? Um, you know, maybe if you dig into some of those traits that you picked up from other coaches you respect. I, th I think my, 
my high school baseball coach kind of showed us, and he was really strict, but he also cared so much for you. I mean, we would have morning practices and his, he had all girls, daughters. And so I think he looked at us as his sons and we'd have morning practices sometimes and his wife would make monkey bread and donuts and rolls and gave that to us. He always talked to us, even though he, we kind of thought he was real strict and he would, you know, even after the prom weekend, he would the practice walk around when you get home and we all had to lie you know, at what time we got home from there. But I think he instilled that, you know, that love and care of your athletes with you. Um, the assistant coach that I had there, because it was just the varsity program too. Um, and he showed how to take care of a field and the care for your field and your equipment and everything. And that, um, so th that was something that he, that was still, my father was just a person that was well-respected by everyone. We would go on vacations and we'd run across someone that we didn't know, but he knew them and he knew it. anywhere we went, he found someone he knew, you know, and that just showed, you know, being respected, um, someone that people cared about and that um, was something learned from him at the work ethic to put the time in, you had to work hard, doing that even if you weren't successful you still had to keep working and things would be tough at times and that um my college coach i think just showed the loyalty showed me that lo being loyal you know i three years i didn't play a lot here and there but i did a lot of things and i had my god he still gave me a chance to play and i was able to take that opportunity and be have a successful i think college career overachieved well, that's great. And, you know, one thing I'm always curious, too, is obviously, you know, you're a coach, you're an AD, you're a learner. Are there other coaches maybe like nationally that you look at and think, hey, you know, I'm a I'm a Kirby Smart fan or I'm a Coach K guy or, you know, I feel like is there another sports or other coaches throughout time that you've really like gravitated to how they do things? I I don't know if there's anyone really on a national level. I know there was uh, – I, I kind of follow the Dick Bennett, Tony Bennett type of things. My dad, my dad, going back to my dad again, he was the huge influence. He had coached Dick and Jack Bennett in Legion Baseball in Clintonville. And so he has always been really good friend with Dick and Jack Bennett and just kind of following their careers all along and what they did and how they, you know, cared about their programs and what they did. And they, work hard and probably overachieved and been able to take athletes who probably weren't great athletes, great basketball players and turn them into a team concept and be successful. You know, we still try to watch the Virginia Tony Bennett and what they do there. Also, I think those, you know, that's probably the biggest ones nationally that I've ever looked at. You know, I was younger, followed Bobby Knight. I thought he was, you know, maybe was some people think a little extreme, but you know, reading books about him and that and what he did for his players that people don't know, you know, and just, I think the respect and the meal to help your players out and help them grow and hopefully be successful in society. And they may look back and say, Hey, you taught us about communication and it's really right. And it's true. And that they're able to be successful when they leave, leave the four years of high school. Oh, that's really helpful. And I appreciate that. I get, how you doing on time? You doing okay? Yep. 
Okay. A um, couple more questions for you. I just want to dig back into baseball. So I like asking this question because I get some unique answers, but um, is there something that you believe in baseball? Is there something you believe coaching-wise that maybe many would disagree with you on, that maybe you're in the minority? Something how you teach a certain way? Um, I know you kind of mentioned that you guys don't play games till April, so you'll take those first three weeks and just do all your practices. Is there anything else you could think of maybe that where you're in the minority in the baseball community? Um, I, I think one is, yes, we don't try to, we try to not schedule anything sooner than we have to. I mean, we start our first games, conference games. We don't play non-conference. I believe in that, you know, before we had pitchers catchers week, we had two weeks and we wanted to use those two weeks to get a good base of, you know, and we do a lot of those hitting drills. And I think start of the season, we're, we are so much ahead of anyone hitting wise and that's what's been successful. I know later in the year, we may not hit as well because we're not doing those. Um, another thing is we don't, our pitchers do not see live hitters until they play in a game. We never throw off a mound or with our pitchers in the first three weeks and they only throw off a mound when we get in season and we get in a game. One I'm true believer in that, not throwing off a mound, we can do some pitching drills, something pitching wise every day in those first three weeks, whether it's at 50, 45 feet, 50 feet, 454 feet, or the 60 feet, depending on what day of the week they're on. But they're able to do that and work on their drills because we're not on that mound and we have to take certain days off. And I'm sure that many people look at us like, oh, I'm not sure if that's a great idea. I mean, Hitting-wise, we don't try to clone, which I know a lot of people will try to make hitters all the same way. We kind of let them find their way in the hitting by doing a lot of the drills and a lot of swings. That's really helpful. No, I appreciate you, you digging into that. I know, you know you're going to share some of that at the WBCA when you're you know, you're presenting actually, you and I are on the stage together, yeah. um, you know, at, at three o'clock on Friday. So I uh, look forward to that time. And if, if you are a listener, if you get up there early, um, you know, we'd love to see up there. My last question for you is, is kind of the, the old million dollar question, right? Like, what do you know now as a hall of famer inductee in 2024 that you wish you knew when you started coaching? I think just the vast knowledge of many different things that you can are able to do with your players in a small thing. When we started out, there wasn't, you know, there wasn't the social media, there wasn't the, the things that do. And we, you know, you had to try to be creative, but you, there is so much knowledge out there that you can use to develop your players, your program that was never available 30 years ago. You know, I, when I first started, we were relying on what, you know, I did in high school, which we took a lot of swings and I learned that from my high school coach. And we did a lot of just the little basic things, but there wasn't the variety of ways to do it, which there are out there now. And so as a coach, you, you know, you got to find that and you make that list that we rely on, that we know are key things we need to do all the time. And I think, you know, it was very small at the beginning and it got bigger as we've gone through this. All right. Well, that's, that's, that's it. I, I really appreciate it. I want to just say congratulations one more time. 
you know, the time flies around these things, and I appreciate you letting us dig into your program a little bit, sharing, you know, all the things that you have. And uh, once again, I just want to say congratulations, and we'll see you in Madison. All right. Thank you. And there it is. Huge thank you goes out to Coach Polk for taking time to sit down with us today. Um, you know, really good look into small school baseball. Okay, and that's not a derogatory term. That's just the nature of the beast in some of our rural communities. And, you know, again, I talk to coaches that have 120 kids coming to tryouts and some coaches that have 14 kids coming to tryouts. And we're all trying to give our kids the best experience possible. And that's, a, that's an admirable task, okay, because baseball is important to all of us. You know, baseball in the state of Wisconsin at the high school level or at any level, it just holds a special place in our heart. So, um, you know, looking inside of, of his job and his world and, you know, so many different hats that has to be, have to be worn, um, I just love these kind of episodes. So, like I mentioned in the intro, um, the clinic's coming up this next weekend. We have great speakers. I mean, Ron Polk, we have just maybe the best lineup we've ever had. Burmeister, Weggs, like we have just some absolute dudes. And then if you get nothing going on on Friday from, you know, 3 to 3.45, high school coaches panel is on there. Um, come here, Tim, and a couple other coaches um, talking about, you know, a little bit life inside their high school pitching staffs. Hopefully you stay for the, the lunch and the banquet and the Q&A after. Um, and if you see Tim, uh, Coach Polk in the hallway, make sure you say hi and heard you on the podcast and congratulations. So um, until next episode, have a great rest of your day.